Hi, this is Craig Tim. Thanks for tuning in. As you know, when we get together, we're going to be hearing a message from God on how we can live the Christian life. How we can overcome those trials, those disruptions, those disappointments, the disparity that we may even feel sometimes. And his messages give us encouragement. They give us some guidance. They give us an outline, a path, a light amongst our feet to show us how we can move forward in spite of everything that's going on around us. Today, I want to start off with just a, a quick little story a friend of mine shared uh, last year, actually. She was a greeter at the, at the church and one hot Sunday morning there, and a man was headed to the door, and, and she... You know, she says, oh, my gosh, he had disheveled hair and he had all this sweat all over him. And, and, and his long sleeve shirt was just half tucked in. I mean, it looked like he wasn't even bathed or prepared to come to church. She was really actually somewhat put off, she said. But she began to put on her happy face, her happy face, her happy face that we all do. And she welcomed him with open arms. And as he flashed by with a big smile, thank you, good morning, she said it was obviously he hadn't been to the dentist in a while. But anyway, she just looked at all those outward things. As she walked by and he was so, my gosh, she just couldn't believe it, what was going on in her mind. And the Holy Spirit nudged her and says, go talk to him. What? Oh, yeah, right. I, I don't think so. She went on about greeting a few other people, and a moment later, the Holy Spirit nudged her again, only with a little more urgency and oomph. You know, we felt that, haven't you? Oh, okay, Lord, I'll do it for you, but not because I want to. I'm going to do it out of obedience. And as she approached the man, and she'd been, you know, talking with him and everything, she discovered that he rides his bike every week, 12 miles, one way just to get to church. And, and she continued with her story saying, here I was judging him based on his appearance, and he shows more commitment to be in church than most people I know. Craig, God really used this man to humble me. And and then I got thinking about that, and you know, we all have prejudges and, and misjudgments and our mistaken notions sometimes of feeling more superior over others than we really should. We all done it. I have. I know you have. And this is just like the Pharisees in the parable. They they utter their own versions of God. I thank you. I'm not like those other people. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought that? I have to admit I have. And it's Really humbling to even say that uh, on the air like this. Well, the same, though, applies to, to the church. It may look like a Christian church and sound like a Christian church, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it is one all the time. Too often people wear their masks and they conceal their true identity. They just don't want to be found out who they really are. Well, let me tell you, Jesus had very little tolerance for this kind of action of people. And that leads to today's title of our message. It's called Unmasking the Everyday Pharisee. In Matthew 23, 1-7, this is what it says. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. 
So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And everything they do is done for men to see. They love the place of honor banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. That's Matthew 23, 1-7. Now, theologian Karl Rayner once said, The number one cause of atheism is Christians. Oh my gosh, we're the cause? The number one cause of atheism is Christians. See, it's those who proclaim God with their mouths and then deny him with their lifestyles. That is what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. And the Pharisees, well, they looked very much like men who honored God, but their behavior showed that this was just a mask. Now, Jesus points to three main things which revealed their true identity. I want to cover those here real quick with us. The first one, I bet, we, if I was a betting man, we could all guess what number one is. Hypocrisy, you're right. Hypocrisy. Do not practice what they preach. That's in verse 3. That's what it says there. In 1 Timothy 4.16, it says, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, it's not enough to simply know and preach the truth, but we must live it as well. Actually, the word hypocrisy comes from the Greek word hypocrites, which means an actor on stage. It means saying one thing, but really living another. It is like looking like an angel, sweet and innocent in church on Sunday, but living like the devil the rest of the week. Hypocrisy does not mean struggling with sin. It is saying you do not. I'll say it again. Listen closely. Hypocrisy does not mean you're struggling with sin. It is saying you do not. If a person does not pretend to be perfect when they are not, then they are not a hypocrite. It is when we put on the righteous act for others to see in public, but then do the opposite in secret. Right? We've all done that, I'm sure, a time or two. Maybe more. See, it's like, it's like the woman who got in the elevator in the office building. There was just one other person in the elevator. A handsome man, she said. But she pushed the button for the floor that she wanted to go to. And then Cassie looked over at the man and suddenly had one of those moments of recognition shock. Could it be? No. Could it really be him? The man looked exactly like Robert Redford, the movie star. And her gaze was almost involuntarily riveted. She just was staring and talking to herself. Finally, she just blurted out, Are you the real Robert Redford? He smiled and he said, Well, only when I'm alone. That begs the question, Who are you when you are alone? Okay, hold on to that. Do you practice what you preach? What you say? Does your life and doctrine line up every day? Now, remember, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You represent the one that you serve. And that means people will evaluate Jesus 
by our behavior. What about people who meet someone for the first time and they end up judging an entire community or they judge an entire country, for that matter, by a single person? And if you call yourself a Christian, then remember that you represent the person by whose name you are called, Jesus Christ. Remember that. This is a thought that should scare us all. Our sin does not simply affect us. It hurts everyone around us. Remember Jonah when he ran away? He did not simply endanger his own life, but he put everyone on the ship in danger as he was trying to run away from God. Years ago in Germany, there was a young Jewish boy who had a profound sense of mm, admiration for his father. The life of the family centered on acts of piety and devotion prescribed by their religion. The father was zealous in attending worship and demanded the same from his children. Now, when this same boy was a teenager, the family was forced to move to another town in Germany. And in the new location, there was no synagogue. And all the business leaders of the community belonged to the Lutheran church. Well, you can guess it. Suddenly, the father announced to the family that they were going to abandon their Jewish traditions and join the Lutheran church. Oh, the family was stunned. And they asked, Father, can you, what, what is the deal here? And he says, it is necessary to help my business. Oh, now this young teenager was bewildered and really quite confused. His deep disappointment yeah, it finally gave way to anger and intense bitterness that ended up lasting throughout the rest of his life. Listen to that. This bitterness and anger lasted throughout the rest of his life. He's just a teenager at the time. Well, he grew, he, uh, he grew up a little bit more and he left Germany and went to England to do his studying. There he wrote a book and he conceived of a moment that was designed to change the world. And in the book, he described religion as an opiate for the masses. And that could be explained totally in terms of economics, he thought. Millions of people are still under this system. It was invented by this embittered man who never changed. His name? Karl Marx. The influence of this one father's hypocrisy is still being felt around the world today for people who have bought into his writings. The father's hypocrisy ended up costing millions of people today in their false beliefs. Now, number two that Jesus talked about was elitism. And that's verse four from our scripture there in Matthew we read. It, verse four, it's tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders. Now, Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The Christian life is about freedom. It's not bondage. In Christ, we have been set free from the law so that we may follow him. Elitism occurs when the person takes their own personal standards of discipline and their practice, and they practice it, and then they place that standard on top of for all the others. The Pharisees had placed heavy burdens of spirituality on people which could not be carried. Originally, the laws, you know, they were created for the priesthood. 
But soon everybody had to follow him. The Pharisees expanded that to include everybody had to follow. Each of us, yeah, each of us must strive to know Christ and to grow in him. We should want to do that. And what works for us and how we hear from God and how we study and how we how we uh, spend time with it, it, it might not work for other people the same way. But that doesn't mean that anyone is better than the other. Yeah, we, we can make suggestions about what works for us, but as soon as we begin to judge others by our standards and how we think they should do it, that's where we run into trouble in elitism. Now, here's a little rule that I've really kind of come to believe after really pondering and putting this uh, together and just spending more time with God. And the more dramatic and pious we become about our faith, the more likely it is that we're trying to please the gods of this earth. And sometimes they're disguised in religious robes rather than the one true God and the holy God who we should be seeking. Now, Jesus, he couldn't stomach this public pompous displays of religiosity. He, re he preferred those who spoke actions with their faith. And that is a thought that scares us all into judgment. Are we prepared to do that? Now, maybe you're listening to today's message and you're thinking that, oh gosh, Craig, this doesn't really apply to me, but I want to tell you that we all do this. We've all acted like this. We're all guilty of this. We've all sinned in this way. I know we have. We judge others based on our own spiritual heritage and think that everyone should do things just like us. See, it's one thing to practice elitism as an individual. But are there areas that we are doing this as a church? Think about that. Are there areas that we're doing this exact type of practice as a church? Third point, judging externals. That's verses 5 through 7 there at the end. And basically, to make it simple, Pharisees do all this are done for men to see. Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You're like a whitewashed tomb, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bows and everything unclean. Judging a person's heart by the exterior is, is wrong, and it's foolish. We've we heard the story from the, the lady friend of mine. But have you ever been judged wrong because of your looks? Think of that. Have you been judged wrong because of that? Here's an example. Going to a revival tent meeting and you're grass-cutting clothes. You're running late. You know you need to shower. You want to change. You're friends or family racing out to you dad dad we're gonna be late we're gonna come out come on oh i need a check no nah, just come like that you're all right well when you get there you're looking like a non-christian you know just like the gentleman in the story that we heard at the beginning today so then you get treated like one think about that but the same can apply in reverse just because you look like a christian doesn't mean that you are one God is not as concerned with the hands as the heart. In our Christian life, attitude comes first. And then action, because actions flow out of attitude. 
And we can see this in many of Paul's letters throughout the scripture. And sometimes we judge not just according to looks, but also by actions. Let me ask you this one now. Have you ever been judged wrongly because of something that you did? Or worse, that you were perceived to have done? Have you been judged? There was a young pastor who went to visit a member of congregation, and he rang the doorbell, and he waited for a moment. No one came, and he rang the doorbell again. And well, he knew someone was home, but no one, no one came. No one answered the door. So, as he was leaving, he wrote Revelation three twenty on the back of his, one of his calling cards, and he stuck it on the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Well. A few days later, Pastor received his calling card back in an envelope with a brief note attached that simply contained the text from Genesis 3.10. I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. One area that I've seen people judging others is in the area of worship. And one of the things I loved about this one particular church where I attended uh, when, when I was traveling in another country uh, for business a while back it was their worship that day. There were people from all over the world worshiping in different ways, all together in the same place. Some would be dancing, others would be clapping, some would stand there and they just, you know, they were soaking it in. They were just very reflective and, and just in thought. You could see that they were just receiving God's message through the worship, but it was just very reflective, not a lot of actions. Of course, there were a few other Americans there and like most of us, we sing loud and many times off-key, but that's okay. We're worshiping. Everyone worshiped God that day in their own way. And that really kind of made me think of that's what heaven is going to be like. We're all going to be worshiping in our own ways. Now, there's a singer, and I'm sure you've heard of him, Matt Redman. He wrote a powerful song called The Heart of Worship. Now, the song dates back to the late 90s, as some of you may remember, and some of you will have to uh, Google it and, or uh, YouTube it and look it up and listen to it. But anyway, it was this song was born from a period of uh, apathy from his home church, he said. Despite the country's overall contribution to the current worship revival at that time, Redmond's congregation was just really struggling to find meaning in his musical outpouring, he says. He said, there was a dynamic missing. There was a dynamic missing, so the pastor did a pretty brave thing that he shares. The pastor decided to get rid of the sound system and get rid of the band for a season. So we gathered together with just our voices. His point was that we had lost our way in worship, and the way to get back to the heart would be to strip everything away. And Matt shared that about this song that he wrote because of what was happening at his church at that time. Now, reminding his church family to be producers in worship and not just consumers, the pastor asked, When you come through the doors on a Sunday, what are you bringing as your offering to God? Matt goes on to say that the question initially led to some quite embarrassing silence. But eventually... The people broke into songs and the heartfelt prayers out loud, encountering God in a fresh new way, just by being there and reaching out to Him. And before long, they were reintroduced to musicians and the sound system, and they had gained a whole new perspective that what worship is all about. It's all about Jesus. 
And he commands a response in the depths of our souls, no matter what the circumstances and the settings are. Now, judging by externals is dangerous, yes, because we most of the time don't have all the facts. And why are we judging people from like that on the outside? Sometimes something may look very much like one thing, but, you know, it's totally different when it's more carefully examined and we find out what's really going on. Now, you see, the Pharisees of Jesus' day had started out wanting to please God. Believe it or not. Yeah, they started out wanting to please him. They began in a day when Israel was deeply tainted with immorality and unrighteousness, and somebody needed to just stand in the gap. And the Pharisees stepped up to fill that need. And in an era where many Jews had abandoned the rules and laws of God, the Pharisees became like prophets to the people, pointing them all back to the law of Moses and the obedience of God's will. That's what they first started out to do. They wanted to obey every one of God's commands. And if God was not clear enough on what he wanted, well, guess what? They created a whole bunch of new commands so they'd make sure that they didn't miss anything. See, now they're starting to add to God's message here. They were the equivalent of a modern-day churchgoers who seriously want to please Jesus. Yes, these Pharisees were the religious people of the day, and they took their faith very seriously. But they started tweaking things. But anytime people take their faith seriously, they can step over the line from pleasing God to disobeying him. And they become like the Pharisees of Jesus' day. So we want to be very careful that we don't fall into that trap. You know where this is going, right? I want to stress it here right now, though. The Pharisees didn't set out to try to make God angry. No, they wanted to please him. They didn't wake up every morning thinking, ah, you know what? I'm going to try and make God mad today. But they had made him angry. Very angry. Why? What, what? What had they gotten so wrong that they actually didn't make that make God furious with them? What did they do? I want to take a few minutes here, and I want to point. Well, wait a minute here. I want to take a few minutes, but I have already stretched out a little longer than what I was planning, and there's so much more to share here. What God has, I'm gonna. We're gonna stop right here. This is part one. We're going to divide this up because there's so much more that God wants me to share with you on this message about unmasking the everyday Pharisee. Who is the everyday Pharisee today? This is what we're going to find out. Why did that, what did that, what did the Pharisees do? What did they really do here? And we're going to find out. See, the, 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 they got. We're going to look at traps. We're going to look at the traps. I don't want to continue on because I'll get carried on, and then this message will be way too long and. People will turn it off. So we're going to quit right here. Part one, unmasking the everyday Pharisee. I'm going to come back and we're going to talk to uh, part two. So make sure you're watching for that when it comes out so you can track and find out exactly what is going to take place here with these Pharisees. And I want to leave you with this. You know, Jesus pointed out three things here. You know, hypocrisy, elitism, and the externals, judging the ex externally. Think about, think about yourself here until we get to part two and you can hear the rest. Just think about that. Are you considered an everyday Pharisee in today's society? 
Nah, you'd probably say no, but just think about what you've done, what you've said, how you've judged, where you've been. What did you say? What did you didn't say? That's the other thing. What did you not say that maybe you should have said? Right? And are you judging others? And are they judging you? Because if you're judging others, others are judging you. Right? We are being watched all the time. And we're representing Jesus Christ. What does that look like to the unbeliever out there? Lord, thank you for this message. I'm so sorry that we're cutting it in half, but it's just too much to share. Bless those listening. Teach them. Direct them. Guide us. And show us where we are falling so that we can get ourselves right and on the Christian path with you each day. We are your representation. We're your representative here. Let us be worthy of that title of an ambassador for you. Blessings. Amen.